Henrik, we saw your uh, tweet, your Instagram about Matt. Uh, after spending nearly a decade with him, now that he is officially on Dallas, just a word on, on what he's meant to you uh, on and off the ice and what he's meant to this team. It's tough. Good friend. <clears throat> Sorry. I can't do it. <clears throat> well, Rory, if you make the guys in that clip way less handsome, that could have been a live look at us at about 1 p.m. <laughs> when we thought maybe there wasn't going to be any major deals here on deadline day. We should have known. You always got to hang in. Henrik Lundqvist, broken up about his buddy Matt Zuccarello being traded a couple days ago. Hockey players are people too, Rory. Yeah, that was before Matt Zuccarello broke his arm. Yeah, too. you should, you should have seen the Stars weeks. brass yeah. crying <laughs> in Chicago. I, I thought it was a good reminder, and I thought we saw a few examples of this, this trade deadline. And I think a lot of fans, you know, you don't consider this. You, you think of them as assets. You think of them as things that can either help your team or help get back your team uh, some futures to rebuild around. But these are players too, right? And you know, we were reminded on the 31 Thoughts podcast last week when Devon Smith-Pelly was put on waivers by the Capitals, how hard he took that, how hard his teammates took that. And I thought Mark Berowicki, too, on the Ottawa Senators, before the Mark Stone trade happened, there was a lot of speculation it was going to go through. And he was talking after practice, and he said, you know, we're not NHL GMs if you're playing NHL 19 on EA. Like, this is, these are real people. These are real situations. We have to uproot our lives, our families, find new places to live. Like, these are real people. Well, let's get back to the cold-hearted business but of we're talking about these guys <laughs> like commodities. This is a very special edition of the Tape to Tape podcast. We are breaking down all of the action that happened on and around NHL trade deadline 2019. Rory, I think we have to start with the team that acquired the best player on the market. We're going to talk all the Canadian teams. We're going to talk winners. We're going to talk losers. But I think this conversation has to begin with the Vegas Golden Knights. One year after they couldn't pull off a trade with Ottawa yes. to get Carlson, yes. Eric Carlson on deadline day, they swing a different deal with the Sens. They get Mark Stone and, surprise, surprise, immediately sign him to an eight-year extension, though not technically official. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa had to get this deal done today, right? Like, there was no way you could go past February 25th without having Mark Stone under contract and not, having not traded him also. And it was neat to see it kind of developed during the day. You know, when Winnipeg made their trade for Kevin Hayes, that kind of took them off the market. Then we heard rumblings that Calgary late last night was trying to do something and that it was potentially with Mark Stone, and then that fell apart. And then Nashville, just before the trade deadline hits... As soon as you it, saw Grandland, you were like, all right, exactly. Nashville's falling out, all it's, it's got to be happening. They're all falling out, and then right under the wire, in comes Vegas, and they swing big. And this is the player that I think is going to really help them. It would have helped anybody, but it, over the top is going to help the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, they have kind of been hit and miss through parts of this season. They went through long stretches without having Paul Stasny and or Max Pacioretty. A combination I thought we both thought was really going to hit for them this year. And it has in spurts, but it's been stop and go. Alex Tuck has been kind of on that line, on the third line. And the first line from last year 
hasn't been as productive and as explosive. In comes Mark Stone, and he's going to be just what he is, a fabulous two-way player, really going to steady that. It's going to be really interesting to me to see who he plays with. I don't think we've learned that yet. Maybe he does slide onto that second line with Pacioretty and Stasny. But basically, you can use him wherever you want. And I thought the return was pretty good for Ottawa, we'll but not, not, not as big as maybe we expected it to be. We'll save that for a larger Ottawa discussion, because obviously the Senators involved in some mega deals in the past mm-hmm. couple days, as we expected they would be. Any qualms with the extension for Stone? Because I look at a guy who's 26, he's the rare winger who can probably win the Selkie Trophy at some point. Sure. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer, and also... I mean, this is a team that made the final last year in its first year of existence. And think of the net gain when you go back to the summer. They lose James Neal to free agency, but pick up Stastny, mm-hmm. trade for Max Pacioretty, sign him to an extension, and now Stone. So you've got, you scratch Neal, but add Stone, Pacioretty, and Stastny to that lineup starting in the playoffs. I mean, I understand anything can happen year to year, but really, on paper, you'd feel way better about the 19 Golden Knights than the 18. It's just, do they have the magic? It was so magical last year, and you can see some of that has worn off. Like They started slow, they got Nate Schmidt back, they started to find themselves again, and now they've kind of slowed down again. And, and I think the primary concern with the Vegas Golden Knights at this point is, are they playing Marc-Andre Fleury too much? And you're going to see down the stretch here now, they're locked into third place in the Pacific Division. They're going to play Calgary or San Jose in the first round. They have nowhere to go. So they're going to be playing Malcolm Subban, I think, a lot more than they have to this point. As I wrote on Sportsnet.ca a, a week or two ago, you know, there's a list of two goalies in NHL history over the age of 34 who played more than 60 games in a season and then went on to win a Stanley Cup, and that's Patrick Waugh and Eddie Belfour. So it's a very, very short list. It's not that it can't happen, but the odds are certainly against you if you're riding a goalie like Fleury in that. So you add Mark Stone, and to your point, like you could say depth chart-wise, they are better than last year. On one of our preseason podcasts on Tape to Tape here, I picked the Vegas Golden Knights to go right back to the Western Conference Final and lose there this year, so I feel better about that pick no after doubt. the trade deadline right so now. So Vegas locked into third place. Columbus wishes it could say it was locked into third place in the Metro because yeah. on any given day it can be slipping down. It could still move up, could even still conceivably win the division, but there's a clear direction in the mind of the team of where they want to go Jarmo Kekalainen, the GM in Columbus, all year faced with questions about would they trade Sergei Bobrovsky? Mm-hmm. Would they trade Artemi Panarin? Two players who have said they are not going to re-up in Columbus. Well, not only did they not trade those guys, they were the busiest team in terms of just going out and snagging impactful players. Matt Duchesne on Friday, mm-hmm. Ryan Dezingle on Sunday, that's 59 goals right there those two guys had scored combined yep. for the Ottawa Senators this year. I mean, adding one guy on a 30-goal pace like that, more than that, would be big, let alone two. Today, they solidify the goaltending. Uh, they go out and get Keith Kincaid and also Adam McQuain to add a little depth and toughness to the blue line. I mean, it's clear to us that the Jackets are, you know, the team that has never won a playoff series is pushing it all in. Have a little listen to what Matt Duchesne, uh, one of the new Jackets, had to say about just the feel around the team knowing that they're so invested in what's going to happen here in the next few months. Just really impressed with this group. And, you know, the day I got traded, we were played against Ottawa. And uh, that morning when I walked into the rink, actually to skate as a senator at that point, not with the team, but just kind of on my own. I, you know, I look at the lineup on the board and, 
see the names on just wow what a deep team what a great team that's set up for uh you know uh some success here and all of a sudden i get pulled out of uh <laughs> out of the training room and uh I'm, I'm on my way across the hall so it's definitely been a good uh experience for me so far and i'm really happy to be a blue jacket for sure so matt it's brian burke here uh, torts has worked for me a couple times world cup olympics just to give you some advice you know what he really likes he really likes when you interrupt him during team meetings. <laughs> so tomorrow, when he's explaining what the game plan is, interrupt him repeatedly. You'll be his favorite player. Have you had a chance? Seriously, have you had a chance to sit down with Torch? Great guy. Yeah, no, we've had some good chats already. And, no, I, I've really enjoyed it so far. I mean, the way he carries himself. I mean, I, I, I think, obviously, we always see, you always see the stuff that's on TV all the time. And you maybe get a misperception of things. And you understand why he's been around so long, uh, you know, in, even though it's just been a short time for me, you just get the reason why he's been around so long. Matt, uh, it's been well documented, the financial uh, issues in Ottawa, but is, is it safe to say that when it came to potentially resigning there, that money wasn't an issue in any of this, and this is strictly your decision to try to win now? Yes, absolutely. Um, I've said that many times. I mean, we... The Senators made one offer to me, and it was a very fair offer. It was a great, you know, kind of point we were going to talk off of, but we wanted to decide what was the, the hockey future first. And we didn't even talk money after that. It was about the hockey things and, and what things were going to look like. And I still feel like I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old, but I'm 28 now, and I'm kind of, you know, starting my prime, and you want to make do of these years. And for me, I think Ottawa is going to, you know, turn it around quickly. I think they're going to do a great job there, but there's just a lot of question marks right now. And for me to sign mid-season there, with a lot of those questions being unanswered, um, you know, before at least July one and the draft, I just felt like it was not doing my due diligence and really, you know, making the right decision for me and my family and and you know for my career because you know, as you guys know, you get one shot at this. So um, I want to make good on it, and I feel like I'm in a great spot right now great team that has a chance to win. I, I truly believe that. It's been impressive to see what this looks like here. Okay, Rory, the last three cup winners have come from the Metro. Of course, the Penguins back-to-back in Washington last year. Penguins are in a dogfight to get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Washington, I think it's safe to say, hasn't been you know a complete juggernaut this year. The mm-hmm. Islanders are the surprise leaders of the Metro division. So given what Columbus has done today, how do you power rank this division now? I can't go away from the New York Islanders. There's just something with that team, the way Lou Lamorello has constructed it, but more importantly, I think the way Barry Trotz has coached that team and how they've significantly turned their defense around and their goaltenders have really come around. So I still have to go with the Islanders at the top there. But I'll tell you, Columbus is pushing number two right now, right? I mean, they're, they're no lock for the playoffs or anything like that. But you know how much I hate tanking and I hate teams giving up and everything like that. This is my favorite team around the trade deadline. I love that the Columbus Blue Jackets just said, you know what, I know that Panarin and Bobrovsky are coming back. I don't care. We're going all in. This is the best team the Columbus Blue Jackets have ever had. They've never got past the first round in the playoffs yet. I know that wasn't a motivation for Yarmo Kekalainen. Well, he's you know, they the said way. it wasn't. That's what he said. But <laughs> he's, mean trying to go, he's trying to go far. He's not going to be happy just getting to the second round and losing. No if question. you get to the second round and then you play the New York Islanders, it's probably going to be a tough match. But if you're loaded up the way Columbus is, it's a coin I think flip pretty at, good. At, at worst. Yeah, with Washington, I would put them third. I do like their pickup of Nick Jensen as a, a nice little depth defenseman. I think he fits well with what they needed there. I'm getting a little afraid for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I know the narrative around those two teams, the last two Stanley Cup champions, is that 
they know that it's a marathon. They know how to kind of pace themselves. And eventually Pittsburgh's going to come around. And eventually Washington is going to find themselves again. And I think Washington is going to be fine. But I'm really starting to worry about the Penguins. They lost their top defense pair in the outdoor game on Saturday. Brian Dumoulin and Chris Letang um, are out, and they're not going to start the road trip with the Penguins. They added Eric Branson, just depth pieces down on the blue line there. Matt Murray has been hit and miss at points in this season. Evgeny Malkin has aired his frustrations and his lack of goal scoring. I have to believe that that's going to come around. But you're competing there with Carolina. Columbus has made all these additions. I'm starting to worry about Pittsburgh again. I might rank Carolina ahead of Pittsburgh, but I just I can't do that because Carolina has burned me so many times in the past. We should note, anyone watching us live on YouTube, on Twitter, fire some questions into the comments section. We're going to try and get to those. We will get to some of them before the end of the show here. Here's my thing with Columbus, too. So let's say everyone leaves. Yep. Bobrovsky, Panarin, Duchesne, Dezingle, out the door. Mm-hmm. You're still left with a huge amount of cap space, and the bones of a team that would have Pierre-Luc Dubois as a number one center, yep. and Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones anchoring the D. You could do way worse than that. If you had to start again from rubble, yes. you could. that's what you're starting with. Now, what you won't have are draft picks. Sure. The Columbus Blue Jackets will go into this draft unless something changes with two draft picks in hand, so you're not going to be feeling too good about that. It would take a little bit of time, but like you said, you're going to have so much cap room. You're going to have the maneuverability to do things, to help other teams out, to get some valued assets back, do whatever. But i got to think that they feel like pretty confident that they can get at least one of these guys signed. I think Ryan Dezingle even said that he's open to negotiating something with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, but on the back end, like you said, like Warensky's a great guy to start with. I think Seth Jones has got a Norris Trophy in his future at some point. He was my preseason pick for that award this year. And I think he's really come around, but he's not going to do it yet this year. It's going to happen. Even though they brought in Keith Kincaid as a depth option uh, in net, as a backup to Bobrovsky, they didn't move out Jonas Carposello, so perhaps there's still a future for him there to try and make his way as the number one. It would be rocky if everybody left, but I'm all for it because they had to take their chance, and that was just the price of doing business. All right. In a roundabout way, we've been talking about Ottawa here because the Senators were obviously the team that sent Stone to Vegas and sent Duchesne and Dezingle to Columbus. Let's finally dive in here. But before we give our two cents, I think it's worth listening to what a man who was a GM for a long time in the NHL and is now an analyst here at Sportsnet, Brian Burke. This is going to shock you, people. He had strong feelings, (laughs) strong feelings about what went on with the Ottawa Senators in recent days, and certainly leading up to the 3 o'clock deadline when Stone was traded about half an hour before. Have a listen to what Mr. Burke had to say. I'm wondering about the return as a rental. I'm not sure they got enough if it was a rental. If he signed for eight years, if it's a sign and trade and he got the max, this does not make sense to me. Even if they faxed in the right paperwork, it does not make <laughs> sense to me. Ex- explain a little bit why that well, doesn't make sense to you. The assets you're talking about for here, first-round pick, conditional first-round pick, two pieces. The pieces I was hearing last night, they're asking for players like like Roslevic and uh, and Niku and, and um, Balamaki. Guys like these are A or A-plus prospects and two potential first-round picks. So this guy goes signed. It's a max sign-and-trade deal. He gets eight years. He gets the extra year. The agent did a great job here. And the return is no first-round pick, a good prospect, yeah. 
But uh, not, I'm with not, you. not a lock. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. I, if I bet you some of these teams are fuming that they felt they had way better offers on the table. That's what I said five minutes ago. It didn't seem quite right. I was okay as a rental. But like, we're talking about one of the best players from having the puck to not having the puck in the league. Yeah. Okay? I, I think he's special. I, I think he's one of the best players in the league, one of the smartest players, the best at uh, That's takeaways. That's a bargain at $9 million bucks too. I, I, I mean, with an extension, I would have wanted maybe two first-rounders for sure, guaranteed. Two, not conditional. Two first-rounders. Two first-rounders. And an A prospect. Well, there you have it. I, I have to agree. I'm sure there were any number of GMs around the league that were like, are you kidding me? That was the <laughs> price? Because yesterday, you know, it was this. Yes. I'm going to cede the floor to you now, Rory, because... You have a counter to Mr. Burke, and then I'll give my thoughts on the Senators. If he hears it, he might be coming at me. I don't know. <laughs> I know that you look at this trade and you're wondering where's the first-round pick, right? I mean, that's what you should be getting for a guy like Mark Stone to start your rebuild up. But I really think Eric Brandstrom is something truly special. He was the 15th overall pick in his draft in 2017. Right now, he's the best point-per-game rookie defenseman in the AHL, and it's his first year coming over uh, from Sweden, where he was also very good. Even though he went 15th in his draft, I think he would be a top-10 pick if they were to redo it again. I think his stock has come up in that time. And Ottawa, you know, you've got Thomas Shabbat back there. I think those two could eventually form a really lethal combo and that's a really great point to start from just as what we were talking about with Columbus if everybody leaves well at least they have a good blue line to start from that's exactly where Ottawa is starting from plus they also have a few other forward prospects Logan Brown, Colin White, uh, Alex Formenton you know there's a good base to start from and now you add what looks like a blue chip prospect you maybe didn't get the first round pick but that first round pick from a contender is going to be late in that first round it's not going to be a guy on the level of Brandstrom, who has just been rising. It's not the best return. It's not the return I thought Ottawa was going to get out of this. I thought maybe you could get Brandstrom and a first-round pick or something like that. Obviously, they were not biting on it. And obviously, a lot of teams weren't willing to pay the price. I wonder how much it did fall. But at least they got a high-end prospect back. My thing with this whole Ottawa scenario, and I'm going to take the 30,000-foot view here, is... Like, I take Stone and Duchesne at their word when they said they loved it in Ottawa. You could really tell. I mean, especially Stone, who's been there forever. And they would have loved to have been part of the city long term. But clearly it came down to it. I mean, Duchesne has made this absolutely clear. It was a hockey decision. Like, he just didn't want to be part of this rebuild. My thing is, didn't we all know that last summer? And if Ottawa had taken a hard look in the mirror and realized, look... It's just not going to work with these guys long-term. Forget the Colorado pick. Fine. You know what? You put Brady Kachuk on the team. You never knew. Like, even if they finish last, there's an 80% chance Colorado isn't drafting first. So just set that aside. But how much more could you have gotten for Stone and Duchesne if you'd moved them last summer when the field of teams interested and capable of making a deal? I mean... We were talking about the Canadians maybe being involved here, but, you know, they didn't really want to make a strong move because, you know, this isn't necessarily the year for them. But you go back to the summer, you got good teams, bad teams, and everyone in between be like, well, if we get Duchesne, well, if we get Stone, maybe we go a different way. And now, I mean, the sneaky thing with Ottawa is what you said. We're so conditioned to talking about them in such ugly terms because it's been just awful thing after awful thing there, but there's actually a lot of good young talent in the pipeline. Like, if you had gone out and killed it on a Stone and Duchesne trade in the summer, you'd officially now be looking at a pile of stuff and going, well, 
by the time they finally get that new arena, they're going to be good. Yeah, I don't know if they'll be spending to the cap in 2021 like Eugene Melnick suggested. I think they're going to be a little bit behind that curve. You're still going to have a lot of guys on entry-level contracts. You're going to be making some of these picks in 2020, 2021, so it's going to take some time uh, to mature there. But they aren't in a bad spot for a rebuilding team. You do wait to the deadline, and you are putting yourself in a position where you're just taking almost what you can get. You do it in the summertime, and not only are teams like Calgary, Vegas, San Jose, all these teams that might have been in on Mark Stone, all the contenders, but anybody else could have been on Mark Stone yeah. because you can go over the cap by 10% in the summer. You have a lot more freedom you to decide what you want to do. to talk about a deal. There's exactly. not the crunch. Yeah, there's no crunch or anything like that. And if you do what Dorian did and you take it down to the wire, again, I wonder how much that price did drop over the last couple of days because it, it on paper it doesn't look as big as everybody was talking like it would. All things considered, you know, you take hindsight. By the way, some New York Islanders fans are listening to you talk about moving Mark Stone a year before and thinking, why didn't we do that with John Tavares? That's a great idea. But everything considered, it's, it is a losing day for the Ottawa Senators. It's tough to take this monumental step back. No kidding. But you look at what they have and look at the future, and you, you could be in worse situations. Edmonton's been in worse situations than what Ottawa is in right now. Yeah, it's just a question of whether it's going to be Groundhog Day in Ottawa, where when these guys develop, they're going to be out the door. But yeah. that's for another podcast <laughs> three or four years down the road. All right, so we've got Ottawa, and certainly Brian Burke has Ottawa filed under losers. Let's talk about some winners. And one Canadian team I think stands out as a pretty clear winner today. Yeah. The Winnipeg Jets. I mean, this was this was the deal I thought everybody had penciled in for them. If they didn't get Mark Stone, or maybe even if they did, they were going to do something like the Paul Stasny deal like last year. And that's exactly what picking up Kevin Hayes is. Hayes is having a career season now. It's a little bit of a risk in that he hasn't had this strong of a season in his career yet. So is it a factor of the minutes that he was getting? Is he actually growing as a player? We're going to start to find that out in Ottawa, but at the same time, or in Winnipeg. But at the same time, he's going to be playing with either Patrick Laine or Kyle yeah. Connor, probably Nick Ehlers on the other side, and he's a great playmaker. Andrew Berkshire looked at the best passers that were potentially available at the trade deadline on sportsnet.ca last week. He does great work for us. And Hayes is one of these guys who was recognized in there, and he was right up there with Stone and Pinner. Not at that level, but he was one of the top guys for sure that can get the puck to the slot, set up your guys. And if you're putting a struggling Patrick Laine there, who just hasn't been able to get the goals coming in at any consistent rate since November, maybe he's the guy that can get a little bit of, uh, of that rolling for Patrick Laine. Not only that, but Winnipeg's got the 20th-ranked penalty kill in the league. Hayes comes over. He was the most used forward on New York's penalty kill. He's a pretty good defensive player as well, so we can maybe help take care of some of the defensive issues that have followed this team. We know Josh Morrissey is out, so their defense has been hurting. Dustin Bufflin's been out as well. So maybe he can kind of offset that a little bit. At the same time, what happens with Brian Little? Do you move him down to the third or even fourth line at center? Do you move him off to the wing? That third line has been really doing a good job for Winnipeg lately. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think it's as natural to just put him in the third line center like they did last year after getting Stasny. It gives them maneuverability. And as we'll talk about with some of these other players, Versatility is so important. To be able to play center and wing is a key component of a player. And now that you have somebody like Little, who's regularly used on the second line, and you can put him basically anywhere in your lineup, if somebody goes down in your top six to injury, you have a top six guy right there ready to replace him with. So I think uh, Winnipeg did a great job. And then a couple of the other little additions that they did too, I thought hit on something that they needed. As I said, Josh Morrissey left the game after getting hit last night. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. Dustin Bufflin has missed some time, but they already went into this trade deadline 
needing a left shot defenseman. They're a little thin there. So by being able to pick up a couple of left shot defensemen just for the depth down low, Nathan Bolio, Bogdan Kiselevich, I think that gives you some options in case something worse happens down the line. Hayes also clearly born to play for the Jets as yes. evidenced by <laughs> him uh, wearing the team's jersey as just uh, a little guy, that picture floating around his Instagram and uh, social media. He was saying his cousin is Keith Kachuk, and that's how he got into being a fan of the Winnipeg Jets back uh-huh. in the day. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you draft and develop as well as Winnipeg, giving up your first rounder in consecutive years is really not that big a deal, is it? No, and I think this is also why Winnipeg is such huge winners, because they got the assets that they needed, but they kept all their top prospects. You still have Jack Rosovich, another guy who can play center or wing, by the way, and play anywhere in your lineup. They kept Christian Veselainen, a first-round pick a couple of years ago. Big guy. I think Winnipeg Jets fans have visions of him playing opposite Patrick Laine one day, his fellow Finnish countryman. You know, uh, Sammy Niku, a guy who had a great AHL season last year, has been getting into the NHL lineup a little bit more this year. As Tyler Myers leaves this summer, maybe there's a way that he can fit into this lineup more permanently next year. Or you use these guys as trade assets down the line. But at the crux of it, you keep them all, you keep that versatility, you keep those options available for future years. And also remember, there's a cap crunch coming to Winnipeg this summer when you've got to pay Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine and Jacob Trouba. And a year from now, you've got to pay Josh Morrissey again after he comes off his uh, bridge deal. So now you have these young guys that look like they're going to be factors that are going to be on their entry-level contracts, and it keeps your cap hit manageable at the bottom end. So Winnipeg beat Nashville in last year's playoffs. We assume they're on a collision course again. Nashville also definitely a winner today, going out, getting Michael Granlund, a great two-way player who will play wing probably for them, yep. but can play center mm-hmm. from the Minnesota Wild, and also sort of one of the under-the-wires going out and getting Wayne Simmons, who they will hope can jumpstart a brutal power play in Tennessee. But big moves by the Predators, who are as all-in as anyone right now. Yeah, and again, this is a team that got what they needed, I think. And coming into this season, I don't think many people would have thought they would have had a power play problem or a depth scoring problem up front, especially from their second line. And two of the guys that they traded out here today, Ryan Hartman, Kevin Fiala, a couple of young guys, Hartman, they gave up a first-round pick for last year. I think they had designs on both of them, at least one of them, taking a step forward this year and becoming a really reliable second-line scorer. And it just hasn't happened. So you trade them both off, and what you get back is, first of all, Wayne Simmons. You've got the worst power play in the league, as you alluded to. Only two players in the NHL have scored more power play goals than Wayne Simmons over the last five years, and that's Jamie Benn and Alex Ovechkin. So even though he might not be the best five-on-five player anymore, maybe he's losing a step as he gets into his 30s. He's still a rough-and-tumble guy, yeah. but he's a specialist. Yeah, he's going to help you on that. the power play. No doubt. Yeah. So some other winners from around the league. Um, does anyone really stand out to you from deadline day as dramatically improving themselves? I love what San Jose did to get Gustav Nyquist. Now, I thought maybe they would be in the market for somebody like Jimmy Howard, who's not going to blow you away or anything like that. But it's surprising that San Jose has the worst 5-on-5 save percentage in the NHL. And and Martin Jones, I don't know if he's the guy who's going to be able to take them four rounds and win a Stanley Cup. There's some uncertainty there. So that's their weakness. But they kind of doubled down on their forwards and said, we've got enough scoring already. We're going to get another one. And we're going to have three lines of supremely skilled players. And they only had to give up a couple of second-round picks to get Nyquist, who is a rental player. 
Um, but I think he's going to come in. He's a great passer. He himself is having a career year, too. He's going to fit in, I think, seamlessly. And he obviously wants to go to San Jose, and he's really looking forward to what that team can accomplish because he had to waive his no-trade clause in order to get that deal done. So I think bringing him in uh, was a huge win for the San Jose Sharks. And the Boston Bruins. I think you got to look at the Bruins as a big winner here, not only because of what Toronto didn't do, but look at the players they brought in. First, Charlie Coyle, who's playing third-line center, but again, he can play the wing. We say that a lot for a lot of these guys, and that's his value to this team. But he's a big player. He had a career year a couple of years ago that he's kind of stepped back from. I've always been waiting for Charlie Coyle to take that step and really become a good 50-point guy. Maybe he can get to 60, and it hasn't happened consistently yet. But he'll beat you on the boards. He'll win puck battles that way. And that's how the Bruins win games. That's Bruins-style hockey, right? That's how they at least get past the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's maybe a way that they see that they can get past the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then the trade deadline here very late, they bring in Marcus Johansson, who's not that type of player, but he's a scorer. And you're without David Pasternak right now. And again, it's if injuries happen, you want to have the depth. You want to have the skilled guys that can move up that lineup and kind of fill in seamlessly. And Johansson, I think, is going to be able to do it. The, the interesting component to this is he's now teammates with Brad Marchand. Yeah. In January of 2018, Brad Marchand came at Marcus Johansson, if you remember, with a bit of a flying elbow. Johansson missed the next three months of action, didn't return to the playoffs, and Brad Marchand got a five-game suspension. So I think that's going to be I'm sure they get past it, but that's an interesting dynamic to start well, with. When New Jersey got Johansson from Washington before the start of last season, it was yep. seen, I don't want to say heist, but a really nice yeah. move. It, basically, he was the only thing that didn't work in New Jersey last year, and now, of course, the team selling because it's not doing well this year. But I think people probably forget what we thought of this guy a very short time ago. Quite a good player. And he's coming around, too. He got 12 points in his last 13 games. You know, he didn't have the best start. But I think this is a guy you can kind of expect to get going here in Boston, especially if he's put in a good situation on a good line. If you put him with David Krejci, maybe a guy who can find him pucks, like he's going to create chances. And I think that that's going to be a really nice fit, a really nice pickup for the Boston Bruins. So the Bruins appear to be set for a return match with the Leafs in the first round. If Boston is a winner today, does that mean just by virtue of the fact their competition got better that the Leafs are a loser before you answer, Rory? <laughs> Let's again turn to our friend Brian Burke, the man who used to run the Maple Leafs not that long ago and see what his take is on the state of the blue and white. Forget the window of the age of the players. You've got a cap window. So Nylander's gone, in my view. He's gone at the end of the year. Jake Gardner's gone at the end of the year. Two big pieces out of this. That's your cap window. That's where the cap is forcing you to dismantle a team. It's going to happen in Tampa. It's going to happen in Winnipeg. It's not about the calendar year the guys are born in. It's about when you have the cap space to keep them together and try to win. It's all about the cap crunch, baby. Man, I don't know, Roy. Do you buy that the Leafs window is short that the time is now or do you think it's still a long game for the Leafs? Well look, you have the core that you do, your window to win isn't closed, I don't think, but your window to kind of freely go out and add basically anything that you want is closing if not already closed right now. When Mitch Marner gets his contract you might face tough decisions. I'm not convinced that they're going to trade out a Nylander or a Marner I think you can probably keep all these guys at least for the short term and move on from there but I was surprised that the Leafs didn't go out and get the right shot defenseman that we were all expecting them to do. That they're okay with Jake Muzzin, who's been great. But I thought like some of these other teams that added, you know, Winnipeg, Columbus, you got teams that added just depth defensemen in case of injuries even hit. The fact that they didn't even do anything like that, I thought was a little bit surprising. And in fact, they just moved away from 
that defensive game a little bit by trading off Per Lindholm and bringing in Nick Batan, who is a point-per-game player in the AHL. He comes with a lot more upside. He's younger, too. And you were talking about how you remember a time when he was a highly yeah. regarded prospect, offense-wise. He, absolutely. And it's just somebody that you can put on that fourth line. It gives you more skill. You're not going to be wasting any minutes on you know, a, a one-dimensional player who's not going to add anything on offense for you. You know, if you figure you need to keep up with the Tampa Bay Lightning or if you need to keep up with the Boston Ruins in, in offense, Patan isn't going to be a game-breaker for you, but at least he gives you another he, person he on a depth He fits the dubious profile to a T, yeah, for sure. exactly. And as much as they needed a right-shot defenseman, the, bo- the bottom six forwards aren't the strongest for the Toronto Maple Leafs either. So, again, just to infuse a little bit more skill in there, I think was an interesting choice, an interesting move for them. Can't tell the winners based on whatever was going on around them. They're definitely losers. The road through Boston and the road through Tampa Bay is a lot harder for Toronto now than it was 48 hours ago. But it's going to be interesting to see how Patan fits in, I think. All right, so we've talked Leafs, we've talked Winnipeg, we've talked Ottawa. We're going to get to the rest of the Canadian teams, but before we do that, let's take a question from YouTube. We kind of touched on this, but let's be clear. Even with the Columbus additions, is it enough to get through the Islanders or Lightning in the playoffs. Interesting that KP underscore double donuts lumped in the <laughs> Lightning, uh, the Islanders with the Lightning. That's yeah. high praise. Okay, let's make one thing clear. Nothing anybody did today makes them a, gives them a better chance to go through the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Right? Like they are the favorites, clear cut. They were so stacked from top to bottom, they didn't even need to do anything today. Like, who would Tampa Bay have gotten that you would say, oh, yeah, he's going to slot into their fourth line or their third defense pair? Like, maybe there was somebody you could upgrade on, Braden Coburn. But that's such nitpicking. There's a lot of depth and a lot of skill on that team. So Tampa Bay can't pick anybody to move past them. But I do think, as we talked about earlier, Columbus has moved up the power rankings there in the Metropolitan Division. And if anything ever starts catching up with the New York Islanders, Columbus is in a really good position there to pounce. And again, this is a center-driven league, the NHL. And this is something that John Torello was kind of calling out in the media recently. We got one one bleep in center? Yeah, we got one bleep in center. He was talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois. So now if you can go with Dubois, Duchesne, and put Boone Jenner down into that third line and where he fits better than a second-line centerman, I think that is going to be an interesting matchup against any team. If they can get past Tampa Bay, that might be a bit of a stretch. The East is definitely Tampa Bay's to lose at this point, but Columbus is definitely better. And in a seven-game playoff series, if Sergei Bobrovsky can finally find himself in the playoffs, he's got an awful playoff track record. That's really what it's all going to come down to. We can talk about Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, or any other pickup that the Columbus Blue Jackets have made. If Sergei Bobrovsky posts a sub-900 save percentage again, everything is going off the sure, rails for this absolutely. Team. Well, he was the third star of the league last week, so right. maybe things he's are coming around. around. He's, he's coming around. He's coming around. All right, so let's get to more of these Canadian teams. Just because I think most people see them as a cup contender, we'll start with Calgary. Pretty quiet sure. day. We knew they were in on stone, but you know, Brad Treliving in his comments after the deadline saying they just weren't ready to part with some of the prospects that were part of the ask. I mean, I, I look at Calgary, and it's a situation, I mean, they were kicking tires on Zuccarello. Yeah, sure, you could add, and you always are looking to to see what you might be able to do to improve, but yep. I certainly don't think it's the end of the world that they more or less stood pat, unless you don't believe in Riddick and Smith. That's the crux here, right? Can you ride these guys? And right now, obviously, that's what they're going to do, and, and I think that's kind of what you had to do. If the price for Jimmy Howard, as Ken, Ken Holland suggested, was a first-round pick, you can't do that if you're for a rental goalie if you're the Calgary Flames. 
Smith is starting to come around a little bit. You've just got to bank on that one of these guys is going to find a hot streak that you can get through the playoffs on, right? And so that's the main concern. I thought maybe they could have got a second-line right winger to get some. And this is the same thing we were talking about this team last year. They don't have that guy who can really pop on the second line. They brought in James Neal, I think, expecting that he would be that guy, and obviously it hasn't worked out, and he's mostly playing on the third line, although he's injured right now. Um, and that didn't happen. So I think what you're looking at here is a situation where the GM looks at, you know, going back to Brian Burke's cap window suggestion, it is very clear Calgary's got three or four years here where all their key guys, most of their key guys are signed. Matthew Kachuk's going to be an RFA this summer, and he's going to sign a big deal. But you got three solid years here where everybody's under contract, and you didn't have to necessarily rush into this one. You made a big trade last year to kind of change things up, trading out Dougie Hamilton, and the guys you got back have hit big. I thought Noah Hannafin has been a great fit there, and Elias Lindholm has obviously really popped on that top line. So that was your work. And you can kind of just step back, see what happens with this team, see what you need this season, see how far you can take them because there aren't a lot of holes on this team. There's no. holes on everybody in the Western Conference. But you can kind of see how far you get and then reassess in the summertime. And then at that point, maybe make your first round pick so you have another good prospect to move into the summer with. And then go back and say, okay, what other moves can we make? Maybe now we can get that second line score. Maybe now we can look at another goalie or something like that. But you have some time here. You didn't need to rush in and overpay for Mark Stone at this year's deadline. So let's just stay in Alberta. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers weren't going to solve their numerous problems no, no, no. today. I think ideally would have liked to maybe sell off a piece or two. Alex Chason, uh, Zach Cassian, just not much happening there. Pretty much crickets in northern Alberta. No, they're losers of the deadline because they couldn't move out any money. That's what everybody was talking about. Just move out some money. And I know there was some hope that maybe they could find a taker for Chris Russell, even if you had to keep a million dollars, retain that salary to make him movable, and that didn't happen. I was a little surprised that they didn't find a taker for Alex Chase on because he scored 17 goals this year. And I know where that's come it's from. McDavid-driven. McDavid effect or whatever, but he does have that game. And I'm not saying you would acquire him to put on your first line with your superstar, but maybe he would be a good guy for some team's fourth sure. line. So I was a little surprised that they couldn't move out him or even Zach Cassian, a guy making a little less than $2 million, again, just to get somebody off the books and move somebody out. So the fact that they didn't do anything I think was a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, I mean, who are we kidding? No one was expecting them to do anything big. I think it would have been a mistake to trade Jesse Pugliarvi at this year's deadline. That's a move you have to let your new GM make. It'd be interesting to see with Edmonton. I mean, they've already made, because of the baggage that comes with having traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson and to yeah. a lesser degree, Eberle to the Oilers, they've made their trade the talent guy yeah. for the cohesive guy, if that makes sense. So it's... It's hard to imagine them going down that road again, but you look down the middle. Well, McDavid's not going anywhere. Drysaddle, and now Nugent Hopkins has become such a great player. Like, yep. you think to yourself, well, Nugent Hopkins, Drysaddle, like, in the summer, would you consider, like, a three-for-one where you solve a bunch of other problems? Or can they just never go down that road again of, we're trading the best player trying to fill things out? If you go down that road... And it you, doesn't work. And it doesn't work, it is going to blow up in your face so bad. Yeah. And, I mean, what are you getting back for the... I know you could get a lot back for Leon Dreisaitl. I don't know what you could get back for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, because he's coming to the end of his contract, oh, yeah. too, right? And that's a factor that's going to come into play here. Can you sign him? Does he want to stay? Maybe you're going to be in a situation where you have to trade him. 
And then at that point, what are you going to get? Look what the rental players are going for, right? Like maybe you'll get a first-round pick. He is a center, so that probably lends itself to getting a first-round pick. But you don't need first-round picks. You need to be trying to do something to win in the playoffs, get to the playoffs with Connor McDavid. And it's amazing how promising this team looked two years ago when they got there, and they're finally getting some traction here, and it's now all blown up in their face. And you step back and you look, okay, if they do make some kind of a trade to move themselves forward, what do they have? Yeah. Like, it's Darnell Nurse. It's Pugliarvi you're selling low on at this point. You're not trading McDavid. There's like, no obvious There's chips. no obvious yeah. way out of this. It's going to be a long, long road ahead. And I think the key for the Edmonton Oilers isn't in the trade market or anything. It's drafting better beyond the first round. Well, that's a fantastic segue to the Vancouver Canucks because a year ago, you know, certainly before that, I would have been the first to say, where the hell is this team? And now sure. we've seen them hang around the playoff chase for the most part this year just far enough out now that you know we certainly didn't expect them to be true buyers today the team needs wingers they did get one in tanner pearson traded for the second time this year giving up hard-nosed defenseman eric goodbranson but not a lot happening in vancouver but obviously it's still about the development there and you know hoping that by this time next year they're in a much better position to nail down a playoff spot yeah like nobody saw jacob markstrom's great play coming this year he's been fantastic one of their best players i i, I was high on elias Pettersson when he came into the nhl i didn't see this, this kind of a season yeah. coming for him so this has propelled them further ahead than what they are but you're right. Like they are still building towards the future, building towards something better. And Jacob Markstrom probably isn't even going to be their goalie when they get to that point. Thatcher Demko is here waiting in the wings, and he was dealing with a concussion at the start of this season, so it hasn't exactly gone according to plan. But I think the plan was always that next year was the Thatcher Demko year that he could come in and have a chance to be the number one goalie. And maybe he doesn't actually find that job until after next season. We'll see how it goes. Goalies are very unpredictable in that way, but. They're still developing prospects. Are we going to see Ole Levy in this lineup before long? You know, there, there are guys that are still coming for the Vancouver Canucks that they shouldn't have been buyers. Even if, if they were sitting in the playoffs tied or one point up or something like that, I didn't think they were in a position to be buyers and give up the assets that were necessary. Two second-round picks for Gustav Nyquist, I wouldn't do that for a rental player if I'm the Vancouver Canucks. So you get to the playoffs, you're probably going to get blown out in the first round by somebody. So, again, like Vancouver... I'm very glad that they didn't do anything big. They tried to add some scoring, hopefully, in Tanner Pearson for a push down the stretch here, and maybe he'll help, but they didn't do too much in Pittsburgh, just one point this month. I thought it was interesting, though, that they did trade away Jonathan Dahlin, uh, who they got at the trade deadline a couple People years ago. People were thrilled that he, was they got last year. Win. Yeah. Now, he's come over to North America, and it hasn't gone so smoothly for him, so I thought that was an interesting kind of transition for them. But again, to your point, it's all about next year and the year after for the Canucks. So the Eastern Conference version of that is the Montreal Canadiens, a team yeah. that is playing with complete house money. People thought would be a bottom third team for sure, even maybe toward that bottom tier. And Mark Bergevin basically telegraphed it. I mean, a month and a half ago, he said, look, I will not be giving up futures for a rental. I will, of course, look at people who can help us for years to come. Yep. So that was on the radar, and he can be a stealth operator. So, Like, if Cam Fowler got traded today, Montreal might have been hard in on that. Ultimately, they make a, a fourth-line exchange. They get Jordan Wheel from the Arizona for Michael Chaput. I mean, really not a trade of huge consequence, no. but I don't think anyone was really looking at the Canadians to be a big player. They're just trying to push through a very difficult 
end of the season and make sure they get into that playoff spot. I was really wondering if Anaheim would move one of those big defensemen with term. And I know they moved Montour, but he's only got one year left before he becomes an RFA. But I'm talking Cam Fowler or Hampton. Yeah, exactly. And that didn't come to fruition. So if they weren't going to get somebody with term exactly like Vancouver, they're a little bit further ahead than Vancouver, though, because you do have some of these young guys in the lineup. They're a fantastic five-on-five team so far this season. Can't say that about their power play, though. No. But still, the Canadians at this point are a team that's only going to go as far as Carey Price takes them. Like, they, they are going to be able to generate things at even strength, but they're not going to win series, I don't think, unless Carey Price is standing on his head. And I and that is the counter-argument to this. If you're saying that Montreal shouldn't have done anything because they're not there yet, I think the counter-argument to that is you're paying Carey Price $10.5 million, and he's not always going to be on top of his game to this level through the duration of that contract. Maybe you should be taking your shots while he's still in his prime. But I still think he's got a couple of years of prime-level hockey left, right? So I think, you know, Jesperi Kotkinemi a year or two from now is going to be a heck of a better player. Max Domi, I think, still got some growth left to go in his game. We'll see what Nick Suzuki turns into. So I think even two or three years down the line, that's when maybe Montreal starts hitting and starts to become a bit more of a buyer. Yeah, they're looking at Suzuki, who they got in the Pacioretty deal, Ryan Paling, the MVP of the World Junior, mm-hmm. uh, Romanov, the Russian defenseman, who was defenseman of the tournament at the World Junior. Uh, Josh Brook, a guy on Team Canada. These are the guys who, there was no way Mark Bergeron was trading any of those guys, and they think, you know, sort of sooner rather than later, they can help the team turn a corner. All right, before we get to some more teams we want to touch on, let's take a couple more questions. All right, from YouTube, Brent Scott, after the deadline, who's the favorite in the West? That's a tough question. I want to say San Jose so badly, but I look at that goaltending situation, and I think that that is going to become a huge problem for them against somebody. Because there, there's a bunch of teams in that Western Conference that can throw waves of offense at you, and I think that's going to be a thing. You know, no Stanley Cup winner in the Stanley Cup era failed to make a trade at the trade deadline. But I kind of feel good about Calgary, even though they right. didn't do anything. I, 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 even though I thought they still need that second line score, I'm still, I'm still, and maybe I'm a fool, but I'm still holding out hope that James Neal is going to go on a 10 or 20 well, games. Well, there's all this chat that they should just hold him out until the playoffs, right. right? And then just lift up the gate and let him charge. Yeah, and you got to think that he's going to start scoring some goals at some point, and that's going to come around. But I love their defense, I love their toughness, and I know, I know that they have goaltending problems of their own, but I, I just think that they can they can score goals, they have a good blue line, they can play that rough and tumble game with you that you that is really tough to match up against. So boy, I mean every team in the Western Conference has some kind of weakness for them. It, for me, it's between the Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. I love Winnipeg's pickup, but even Connor Hellebuck has been kind of iffy this year. They're dealing with injuries on their blue line. I'm torn between those two teams. I've been Winnipeg the whole way. I'm moving towards Calgary because I think that by not making a move, you might bring that room together a little bit more, too. Don't forget about Vegas, man. Vegas making the strong move today. All right, there's a Western Conference team I think you'd like to take a couple minutes to dump on because it has had (laughs) pretty horrendous trade season, we will call it, or deadline season. Minnesota Wild, I mean, it's almost as if you look at the deals, it almost feels like they just wanted a break from Coyle and from Nino Niederreiter. Like... The return they got, one for one, Victor Rask, Nino Niederreiter, immediately people were throwing question marks yep. up. Then they get Ryan Donato, oh, okay, prospect. Yep. 
and a fifth from Boston for Coyle, a guy who was rumored to be specifically going to Boston, but going anywhere for so long, you would yep. think they were holding out for more. Now, Fiala has a chance to hit. I think that's the one guy yes, two years from does. now we could be looking at. Paul Fenton knew him from Nashville, the, the Minnesota GM now, but... I mean, it's hard to know. Minnesota's going to be a fascinating team moving forward because for so long they've been this, like, you know, dating back to getting Suter and Parise on the same day in free agency. That was when they made a push to go in and try and win the Cup. They just haven't been able to punch through, even to a conference final. So are we starting to see now a real teardown? It's just, I mean, you look at the nine goals Niederreiter has in 16 games yeah. in Carolina, and it's just not a great start to this process. You said Fenton knows Fiala from his days as Nashville GM. He called his name from the podium at the draft when they made that pick 11th overall. So he's very, very familiar with Kevin Fiala. The thing is, Michael Granlund is having a down season, but I thought he pretty well established himself as a, a high 65-point guy. Exactly, and he's having a down year. Are you selling him low or not? But what you are doing is you're selling him to a team that could definitely need him, and what you're getting back is the hope, the hope that Kevin Fiala is going to hit. I hoped he was going to hit this year in Nashville. I was kind of expecting that, and it didn't play off that way. So is it going to finally happen for him in Minnesota where tons of players have been underachieving this year? You wonder what kind of change is going to come there, if there's going to be a coach or anything like that too. Like, What is the fallout going to be for this team if they don't make the playoffs? When Fenton was hired in the summer, Owner Craig Leopold was at the podium there, and they were talking about the expectations, and it was Stanley Cup. The expectation from him is always get into the playoffs and see what can happen. We want to bring a Stanley Cup here. I thought all three of the returns for these guys were a little underwhelming. I mean, Rask has been... Not very good since coming in there. While he's been on brand, off. not very exactly. good. Exactly, and then he's been moving down, down, down the lineup, getting fewer minutes. He was playing wing for a little bit. He was acquired as a center, so that's a little bit alarming there. And I think Elliot Friedman was talking about this on the Thirty One Thoughts podcast. Like these guys, Charlie Coyle, Minnesota in the past had always been rumored to be trading them, never did because the ask was so high. Yeah. And now you look at the return they got, and you wonder what the heck's going on here. Now, the other interesting part about the Grandland Fiala trade is that. Minnesota dumped $4 million in cap space, right? That Fiala's going to be an RFA this year, so you'll make up a little bit there. But they seem very clearly interested in shedding some salary cap space. So, again, there could be a lot of chance for more movement in the summer. There's a lot of good players that they have that they could potentially move in a trade that other teams would be interested in. We might be looking at a very different Minnesota Wild team when the puck drops in 2019. He disappointed in the Islanders at all in this surprise year not going out and doing something. When you look at the cost of Duchesne, I just feel like if the Islanders could have made that deal, I don't know. The thing is, you've got a couple of guys who are going to be UFAs, right? And until you get them signed to a contract, there's always this possibility that things are going to blow up. And after everything that the Islanders and their fan base went through last year with John Tavares, and then he eventually didn't sign there, it was going to be risky if you went out and spent a first-round pick or spent... You know, a prospect. Maybe it's Noah Dobson or Oliver Wallstrom. I don't think they could have been. I on would the have table. kept those guys, but For thought sure. about trading my 2020 or 2019 and, first. And Josh Hosang was a name that was being floated out there too. I, I'm a little surprised they didn't move him for something because there doesn't seem to be a way that he's going to fit into that lineup at any point. But uh, maybe again, that's a summer thing. I'm not disappointed. I'm a little surprised Lou didn't do something. Kind of felt like they were lurking in the weeds. Yeah, I, I was kind of expecting, like, you get down to 10 minutes before the deadline, oh, Lou Lamarillo was going to strike in. Something yeah. was going to happen. Stone's going to the yeah, Islanders. Some, something massive was going to happen around, around the Islanders, and it didn't happen. But I think 
they are just playing with house money this year. And you're, you're still building a new culture and a new level of expectation within that locker room, within that organization. I think they've done a great job. But again, I think you're going to see the fruits of this really start paying off in the years to come. If they can get all their UFAs signed, if you can get Noah Dobson, who's been fantastic in the queue since getting traded, if you can get him into this lineup in the next year or two, I think the Islanders are going to be even better, maybe back to this level for a prolonged period of time. There's not really a need to burn any of these assets right now. Make your draft picks, still build towards a better future, and just see where this defense and where this goaltending can take you this year. All right, we're going to wrap up on some more questions and just some bits and bites here. I want to touch on some teams. I mean, it's natural on trade deadline day you're going to talk about the teams loading up to go for it this year, but... You know, some teams still with the long play here. And, I, I mean, Buffalo would love to make the playoffs this year. Could still maybe happen, <laughs> maybe. but it's an uphill battle. But one of the more interesting moves, picking up Brandon Montour, right-shot guy, 24 years old. He's a Southern Ontario boy. Um, you know, just a move made to help Buffalo, you know, push forward here in the next little while, the next few years. They're still really in the asset accumulation phase. Let's have a little listen to what Brandon Montour had to say about being traded from the Ducks to the Buffalo Sabres. We had a day off. We're, we're in Vancouver, so um, we're getting ready to play tonight. And um, was at the spa with a couple of the guys and um, got the phone call there. And you know what? It's it's obviously a tough situation. It's my first time going through all this, but um, there's going to obviously be change, you know. Um, things were going south there and, um, you know, up and down season, there, there had to be change. And, um, like I was telling others, you know, unfortunately, you know, I wasn't in, in the cards or I wasn't in their plans moving forward. And, um, you know, um, Buffalo, uh, was excited and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy, you know, to be a part of that and be obviously, like you said, close to home. So, um, you know, that's a huge plus as well. Yeah, anytime you lose as much as the Ducks have been losing this year, Rory, you know that the change, uh, the winds of change are, are going to sweep <laughs> in at some point. I, I really like that move for Buffalo. I really like it too. Now, it's gonna. What's gonna be interesting here is Brandon Montour has never been a 50% Corsi four guy, and we're gonna find out if that's a case of. Randy Carlisle, the duck system, his role there or what, because what he definitely is is a guy who is great at zone exits and zone entries. He can really drive the play. He can really help push that puck down the ice for the Buffalo Sabres, get it up to the forwards, get it up to Jack Eichel, get it up to Jeff Skinner if he's going to stick with the team beyond this season. That's going to be another interesting thing to see if he resigns. That would have been not. the stealth move of the deadline if they cut if they, there. but For sure. Um, but Montour, uh, you know, he's got one more year on his contract before he's an RFA, so there's a lot of controllability there for the Buffalo Sabres too. And it also gives you that freedom uh, to do something else. There were rumors after Montour came in that, Perhaps Rasmus Ristolainen could get traded by the Buffalo Sabres. That didn't come to fruition, but again, with how they have control now over Montour and some more depth on that blue line, they're going to go into the summer and have a couple of more options on what to do with that blue line. Well, another question to hit you with, Rory, from Joe the Pro. He's watching on YouTube, and he wants to know, should the Blues have gone for more? The Blues launching themselves back into the playoff picture. They're basically in now. They're almost locked into third in that central division. My answer is, nah, just keep going with what you got. Like, it, it, this has been such an incredible turnaround. I almost wouldn't want to mess with it. It's almost like they did add something in the way the team has just 
taking a complete 180 on sure. this season, right? They're they're a different team than they were in the first half. They're the team that I think we all expected them to be. Yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko is finally scoring and clicking. Ryan O'Reilly has been fantastic all season long. The center depth is really starting to show itself there. Alex Petrangelo has come back from a, a slow start. I think Vince Dunn is really, uh, he's a young defenseman for the Blues. He's really coming up there. Even Boomies are playing Bo a little better. Boomies coming around a little bit too. And the thing is, a huge factor for the Blues turnaround has been the play of Jordan Bennington in net. And goalies, we they're so hard to predict. You just never know Ride if the and comment when, when it, the bottom is going to fall out there, right? Yeah. And if it does, and you've given up some assets to really go for it, you might regret it. And Doug Armstrong, the last two deadlines when they were going for the playoffs, actually added, uh, actually was a seller, acted as a seller. So the fact that he didn't do anything to this team to move anything out, I think it's pretty wise to just stay the course and really see what this team is. And again, another team that can go into the summer and say, okay. This is a roller coaster season for us. It didn't go as smooth, smoothly as we thought, but we have a GM that is very open and very willing to do a lot of big things to address any problems. And I think at that point, when you have more freedom, more maneuverability, you can really start to make some moves. All right, so is there one clear winner of the day? Is it Vegas? Is it Stone, who now gets to play on a contender and get paid 9.5 sure. and live in the, in the <laughs> desert? I mean, is it the fans and bar owners in Columbus who might yes. get even, uh, you know, four extra weeks of hockey this year that they weren't expecting? Uh, is there one team or player that you would list as trade deadline 2019 victor? Columbus Blue Jackets yeah. fans, definitely. Um, again, they haven't got past that first round, and this could have gone totally off the rails for them. You could have traded Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky for two first-round picks and a couple of prospects or something like that. Maybe you could have got a similar return for Panarin that you could have got for Duchesne, but probably less because he's not going to re-sign. He's going to go to July 1. So I think if they traded those guys, that return would have been a little underwhelming. And again, you know very much how much I hate rebuilding and giving up. I just love the fact that Columbus went all in here, just completely all in in every aspect. Two draft picks left in 2019 for them. I think their fans are huge winners because now they have something to trade for. I just hope, Ryan, that they actually get to the playoffs. Yes. That one little step one in there. Make sure right you actually get to it. <laughs> Make sure you are checking out the Tape to Tape podcast that comes out every Friday. Rory and I yakking about all things hockey. You can check out Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on Sports. Rory was running the live blog today. I've got the winners and losers up at sportsnet.ca. we got to go out on a winner here, folks. He's been with us through the whole podcast. I actually saw him through the glass with his tie undone, Mr. <laughs> Burke, right on brand as always. So we're going to leave you with uh, a few of the, what, what do we call them, I guess the grumblings of uh, Brian Burke on trade deadline day 2019. I don't get it. Forget the window of the age of the players. You've got a cap window. This does not make sense to me. So Nylander's gone in my view. Jake Gardner's gone. That's your cap window. Gone. 2006, Andrew Ladd returns to the Chicago Blackhawks. Mark Dano, top prospect of first two veterans. Hawks eliminated first round. I don't get it. 2009, Ole in the Calgary. Gone. Matthew Lombardi, Brandon Preston. And a 2010 first rounder. Flames eliminated the first round by Chicago. I think we're the only people talking about this. I don't get it. It's going to happen in Winnipeg. Gone. It's going to happen in Tampa. Gone. It's not about the calendar year the guys are born in. It's about when you have the cap space to keep them together. I'm trying not to be negative. I don't get it.